And so for those of you perhaps that are listening and watching via the internet with me and the congregation, would you be kind enough to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we do want you to follow along, and so there are pew Bibles. Uh, this particular passage is on uh, page uh, 1015 in that uh, pew Bible. So, uh, last Sunday morning, we covered verses 1 through 6, and the title of that message was, uh, a word to the wives. And so this morning we're going to look primarily at one verse. There are a few passages, other passages that we're going to examine, but the uh, corollary to a word uh, to wives is a word to husbands. Uh, I will remind you uh, as we venture into this passage today that uh, verses 1 through 7 are primarily directed to and uh, in, in, to couples that uh, have believing wives and unbelieving husbands, or, as is the case in verse 7, couples that may have believing husbands and unbelieving wives. Now, overall, the text obviously is uh, directed toward uh, the church of the living God. So we need to heed these words. I'm going to read a bit about that here in just a minute. But I do want us to read verse 7. Husbands, likewise. Now, in verse 1, he said, wives, likewise. <clears throat> so this is a continuation of what he began back in uh, verse 11 of chapter 2. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weak, weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, that's one verse, but there's, there's a lot that the Spirit of God laid on the heart of Peter to write to husbands. I would remind you that Peter is a husband, was a husband during this time. In fact, uh, tradition says that his wife had traveled with him on many of his missionary journeys and is now with him in Rome as he's writing these epistles. And that she, along with Peter, would be uh, crucified. They were not uh, Roman citizens, so the choice of uh, of uh, execution was not uh, beheading. Paul was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. But uh, they both endured significant pain, excruciating pain. And Peter had to watch his wife being crucified before he was crucified. So when we think about where we are as believers today, uh, we can be thankful that at least to this point in history, the Lord has not required that of us here in America. It is required sometimes in believers in other nations, and we need to pray for them. So remember that quite a bit here in this passage. Overall, a submitting family, but this morning specifically, a word to husbands. Let's go to the Lord and his throne of grace in prayer. Father, as uh, our praise team has led us in worship here with the song, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And so our prayer today is that you would cause us to reflect on the word. I pray especially for the husbands this morning, husbands-to-be. I pray that you would give them attentive ears and remove any shackles from their hearts and souls as we focus on the responsibility that uh, <clears throat> the Trinity gave to saved, born-again husbands. We do pray that you would have your sweet will, your divine way, as we look at the Word, elevate and exalt Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Trevin Wax, who is a contributor to the Gospel Coalition and also, I believe, on staff, or at least a um, uh, does some uh, surrogate teaching at Southern Seminary, written a great little book entitled The Thrill of Orthodoxy. Uh, when we get to Second Peter, I'll refer to this quite a bit more than I will in First Peter. But I want to read something from this book uh, today, that, and he's writing, this particular chapter is on the narrowness of heresy. 
And when we get to, as I said, Second Peter will illuminate some of this. Remember, heresies and errors spread. The passion of revisionism never breeds an only child. It always multiplies errors, affecting other aspects of the tradition until there is a clear departure from orthodoxy. When we deny the inspiration of God's Word, and we're in one of those passages where it's easy to say, well, that was cultural. And remember last Sunday morning we gave you four textual reasons here that uh, these first six verses, and indeed the seventh verse as well, apply to us today. But uh, Wax says, won't we deny the inspiration of God's Word? Eventually, we'll dismiss doctrines or commands that don't make sense in today's world. And we read these, and that was for that time. This is a way of getting out from under the authority of Scripture. We're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. goes all the way back to Genesis, where the serpent said, has God said? Did God say? So remember that the inspiration of God's Word, bibliology, is a teaching of the Word of God. It's a doctrine of the Word of God. So when we come to these passages... We have to keep that in mind as we focus on the word that is before us this morning. First slide, if you would, Mr. Logan. So a couple of quotes here today. Let's begin with asking this question. What is the responsibility of a Christian husband who has an unsaved wife? Now you say, well, that may be rare. Maybe, maybe not. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who just read from Wax's uh, book here, but a few years ago, Martin Lloyd-Jones passed away in 1980, he wrote this in his commentary actually on Ephesians 5, which is a parallel passage to 1 Peter 3, and Jones wrote this. How many of us have realized that we are to think of the marriage state in terms of the doctrine of the atonement? One of the reasons when we have marriage ceremonies here that I go through the gospel, the homily, if you please, at the close of that, is so that people understand there's more marriage than just saying I do. And Joan says this, books on marriage are found in a library under ethics but they don't belong there. We must consider marriage in terms of doctrine, teaching, and that doctrine primarily of the atonement, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He atoned for our sins, of the seeking love of God for rebels, male rebels and female rebels whom he woos and wins to himself and upon whom he pours out his spirit and who he loves with an exclusive affection. That gives us our bigger context. God is never angry with his bride. He loves her. Yes, he chastises her. Yes, he corrects her, but he's never angry with his bride. Tim Chalice wrote this. I have often pondered one of the strange paradoxes of married life, that the person I love the most is the person I will sin against the most. Men, you ever thought of that? Wives, you ever thought of that? Every day, I will have the opportunity to live with her selflessly, but also to battle the temptation 
to live with her selfishly. We struggle mightily with this. So when we look at verse 7, next slide if you would, there are three graces, there are three trusts that we see in this verse. What is a husband's attitude to be? Well, these graces, the, the trust, if you please, between a husband and a wife found in this verse. The very first one he says is, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. You could perhaps substitute the word here, humility. Um, but understanding is uh, the word that uh, is translated into the English here. So that's the one that we're going to use. He's saying here to dwell with your wives, with understanding. Now, this is an interesting phrase. The very first half of the first sentence, uh, first verse there teaches us a great deal about a husband's responsibility. The word understanding there, by the way, means comes from gnosis, a deep, experiential knowledge. And so I jotted down on the uh, bulletin this morning. I said, uh, guys... In conjunction with this, you need to be smart enough. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the world, the smartest guy in the room, but you need to be smart enough to understand your wife. And from experience, I can say sometimes that is a, that's a hard thing to do. Why? Because I'm a sinner. Then he says you're to dwell with them. You are to abide with them. And this word, it's a, great, it's a great word. It's found only here in the New Testament. It's found quite a bit in Septuagint, uh, the Old Testament translation into Greek. And the word, uh, sonorkion, means to live together, to reside together in a dwelling. In the Old Testament, it is used for the marital relations between a husband and a wife. So Peter, pretty sharp guy, was smart enough to go back to the Old Testament study and find that the word that he wanted to use, the word that the Spirit of God was guiding him to use, means that you are to live with your wife in a deeply intimate way. You're to understand, be smart enough to understand her mental, emotional, and physical needs are not unimportant just because she is not a Christian. Now, this would apply whether she's, it applies primarily because we're speaking, he's speaking to believing husbands, unsaved wives. But it also applies believing husbands, believing wives. So we had opportunity last Sunday morning to go um, to read a portion of Scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians 7. I want to go back there again this morning and read the first five verses. We picked up with verse 10 last Sunday morning. But go with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We covered this when we were preaching through 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> And part of what Peter is saying here, Paul discusses in these opening verses of chapter 7. Verse 1, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, the Corinthian church had some questions for Paul. And one of the things they had was about marriage and divorce. One of the questions was about marriage and divorce. And so Paul says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority. Oh, we're big on authority, aren't we? The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, same word Peter uses, the husband 
does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This is dwelling together. Do not deprive one another, except with consent for time, that you may give yourself to lasting in prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I read a number of biographies. It's one of the things that I enjoy doing. Craig and I were talking about this this week. Reading biographies helps you to uh, not only understand human nature, but also to understand that human nature doesn't change. So I'm reading one now uh, entitled The House of Morgan about J.P. Morgan, J.P. Morgan Bank. You are probably familiar with that. It's one of the oldest and certainly the wealthiest bank in America. Well, J. Pierpont Morgan, his father actually founded the bank. And Pierpont was his only son, so he assumed the responsibility after his father retired. And he uh, married a lovely lady who was, um, had, had a number of health issues. Well, he was so driven to succeed. Now, his father had already made him successful. He was a wealthy man even before he became the chairman of the board of uh, J.P. Morgan. But he was so driven to be the wealthiest man in America, if not the world, that he neglected his wife. He would often take extended trips to Europe, to Japan, to other places around the globe and not take his wife with him. That's not a good thing. And that's what Paul is saying here. That's what Peter is addressing in verse 7. You're to dwell with them in understanding. Here's the thing I want you to remember, guys. If you're listening, say amen, guys. Remember, I don't understand women's cop-out. And I know you guys, you've never said that. But it's a cop-out. It's indicative of a careless leadership. And here's the thing. (laughs) Husbands are not called to understand women, generically. We're called to understand our wife. One woman. One. So the understanding, the dwelling, the abiding with, the intimate acquaintance with your wife is your responsibility. And that supersedes everything else in your life. Yeah, you got to make a living. I understand that. Yeah, I got to do this. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. So remember, God has not called you to understand women. God has called you to understand your wife. The second thing in this particular verse is the word. Notice, go back to 1 Peter chapter uh, 3 now. He says, you dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessels. So literally, Peter says, because she is a weaker vessel. And the word honor there means to be esteemed of the highest degree. And she is valuable. She is as valuable as you are because she's the joint heir, and that's what he says after this particular phrase, a joint heir of God's amazing grace. For A believing husband and an unbelieving wife, that's what your desire is, that you want her to become part and parcel of the heir to God's amazing grace. Not God's common grace. God's propitious grace. His grace that is extended to those that believe and receive Jesus Christ. Next slide. Now, He uses the word weaker. And again, 
talked about the authority of God's word, and we, we look at this word, and immediately we think of the English word. But the use of the word weaker that Peter is uh, instructing husbands in this particular passage literally means it's a comparative term. It goes back to being linked with weak. So what is Peter saying? He's saying men are weak. This is not a reference to the physical. This is a reference to the spiritual. Women, if men are weak, and we are, women are weaker. There is a reason that the serpent tempted Eve first. There is a reason she succumbed. Because Adam, perhaps, was watching a football game. Or he was fishing. Or he, he was doing something. He was somewhere else other than being with his wife, as far as we know. Satan... Peter will talk about it in 1 Peter 5. It's like a roaring lion. Lions do not kill the strong members of a herd. They prey on and kill the weak members. That's the reference that we see here. So he says, you're to give honor to the wife because she is weaker. And I've got up here, guys, we're weak sinners. Every single one of us. Doesn't matter how strong your willpower may be, it is not the loving will of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have opportunity to have that through Jesus Christ. But when we do it in the flesh, and quite often we do, we poke out our chest and say, well, I didn't do that. Well, thank God by the grace of the Spirit of God that we abstain. From certain things. So Peter is saying it is a reference to the physical. Obviously, men are physically stronger in, in the muscle area, okay? Uh, sometimes we are stronger emotionally, sometimes we're not. And sometimes the spiritual nature of a woman. If you go back and you study, spend any extended amount of time studying the situation of the cults, the rise of the cults in this country, you will find that the majority of them were established by women. Not all of them, but the majority of them. And that is an indication of the fact that Satan still tempts the weaker vessel. Your wife has to be protected from a number of things. Physically, emotionally, she needs to be nourished. She needs to be cherished. She needs to be guarded. Remember, when we looked at the close of 1 Peter chapter 2, there he says he's the, uh, Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. He is the guardian of our souls. That is what is found, as the idea is found here in verse 7, that it becomes our responsibility because we are to submit to the chief guardian, which is Jesus Christ. Men are to submit to the chief guardian. Now, the phrase giving honor is found only here in the New Testament. Uh, a couple of, couple of things here that we see uh, in the use of the word understanding or the translation of the new, uh, uh, understanding taken from the Septuagint found only here in the New Testament. And then secondly, the use of the phrase giving honor is found only here in the New Testament. So it's unique to the writings of Peter. And it means to apportion out, to give, to give a portion of honor. In other words, don't forget to lay the table in such a manner that you uh, neglect the support of your wife in a variety of areas. So in the New Testament times, honor was far more important than life. Honor, when soldiers were killed in battle, they wanted to die honorably. 
when individuals were, uh, were faced with great uh, debilitating circumstances, they wanted to be able to go through those circumstances with honor. That's the idea that Peter is conveying here to the husbands. In the New Testament era, how one lived in giving honor was portioned out at their death. They believed that the pantheon, whether it was Roman or Greek or whatever pagan pantheon may exist, that they would be blessed because they lived a life of honor. And one of these opportunities is to give honor to the wife. Husbands are called of God in a way marked by the love of Christ. Goes back to the end of chapter 2. We just talked about that. This means that we think of her more often than we think of ourselves. In other words, we live in a way that assists her to honor and submit to you. Well, my wife's not submitting to some. (laughs) Probably a great deal of that may be the way that we don't give honor to our wives. God the Father, through God the Son, honors the church. He will exalt the church. It is his bride, and he loves his bride. We will one day be assembled, those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ, about the marriage feast of the Lamb when the bride becomes the wife. God shows honor to the church. He expects for husbands to show honor to the wife. You know, sometimes deep down in our sinful hearts, we think that if our wives were just a little more like us, (laughs) I don't want Robbie to be more like me. I'm thankful that she is like she is. You know, if if she was just, uh, if she was a little more like me, it would be easy to get along with. Well, you think, think, uh, think of your siblings. Who are you most alike, those of you that have siblings? Who are you most alike in your family? I'm talking about your parents or your brothers or sisters. How well do you get along with the one that is like you? Probably not very well. And the reason is they are like you. So sometimes we think if my wife were just a little more like me, if she would just think a little more like me, if she would look at things in a different vein than I do, and if she had the same desires that I do, man, we would have the perfect marriage. No, you wouldn't. You'd have a selfish marriage. And that's not God's intent. God's intent is that we have a selfless marriage. We forget that the triune God has chosen to display his glory through the union of two very different genders that are wonderfully different and marvelously complementary. That's the wisdom of God. I don't want Robbie to be like me. She's my wife. I need counsel. And from that counsel, I need to be smart enough to know when her counsel is effective. And ladies, this applies to you as well. You need to be smart enough to know that when your husband's counsel is effective, that you grant that. That's complimentary. Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, we're told, when before the foundations of the world were laid, before Adam and Eve were created, before anything existed except God, and even when it's all gone, the only thing that's going to exist, the only persons that are going to exist are the triune God and his family. Before... 
the foundations of the world were laid, Jesus said, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O Father. He marvelously, he's God, but he marvelously became submissive to his Father so that you and I might be saved. That's why the picture of marriage is the beautiful picture of the Trinity. A husband understands that your wife is fearfully and wonderfully made, as David said in the Imago Dei, because she's similar to him physically, genetically, all these things that go together. But, thankfully, she's also very much different from him. And that is, again, in the wisdom of God. Next slide. We're talking about giving honor. We've talked about understanding. We've talked about giving honor. The differentiation that your wife has is co comparable to the manner that we are distinguished from God. We're not, we're like God in the image. We are not like God in his holiness. So we're similar but we're very much different. And that is, when you look at your wife, you're to think, the Lord has given me a blessed person as my helpmate and my comparable spiritual partner. After all, she is his bride similar to believers comprising the bride of Christ, which is the church. And we've talked about that. We talked about that just a minute ago. Now, here's a question for you guys again. Husbands, are you sobered enough that God loved you enough to save you in Christ and to provide each of us gnarly-headed guys with a wife at all? We don't deserve wives. For believers, it is because of God's love. And this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones meant at the beginning, the quote that we had, means about marriage representing the atonement. Humility begins with understanding that there is nothing in us but sin before holy God. Nothing. Nothing good in us. The Bible continually teaches that. Before holy God. And yet, the vile nature of our sin, male and female, did not limit God's mercy, His grace and love. That's limitless. And so He gifted us with a wife to show how much He loves you and I. We're to honor our wives because God entrusted her to you. Those of you that have been married long periods of time, those of you not so long, those of you that are contemplating marriage, remember that. God has entrusted her to you. Christ entrusted the church to him. Be eager to extend the generosity of his great love to you, to your marriage partner. He's gifted to you in that love. Hmm. Understanding, live with her and dwell with her in understanding. Secondly, giving honor to her. Thirdly, he says, look at the latter part of verse 7, and as being heirs together in the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. It's one of the most powerful phrases in the New Testament. Heirs together. And the heirs together there is linked with the last portion which talk, we'll talk about prayers as we close this out this morning. 
So husbands and wives are to share in the grandest grace found in this life. A godly marriage. It disturbs me, and it should disturb you, when there are two believers, male and female, that eventually decide that this marriage is not working anymore. That What they're saying is the grandest grace that God has given to us in this life after our salvation, the grandest relationship, human relationship, is a farce. And that's a godly marriage. God determined that a weak, fallen sinner of a man would love a weak, fallen sinner of a woman so that they may be heirs together of his grace and his love, his bountiful love. His overflowing, his steadfast love, as it's stated so often in the Psalms. That's the display of a godly marriage. Next slide. We studied the book of Ecclesiastes a number of years ago on uh, Wednesday evenings, Sunday evenings, and Wednesday evenings. And here Solomon wrote. Live joyfully with the wife whom you will love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes toward the end of his life. He says, for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Live joyfully. We've been studying about joy in Philippians. Gordon has been teaching us in, from Philippians 4. Live joyfully with your wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Marriage frees us to develop the most intimate relationship on earth. And we are commanded to relish our wife as our best friend and our dearest companion. I have some good friends that are men, and I think that's healthy. But they're not my best friends. Robbie is my best friend. And she has been. And that's a good thing. I can depend on her. She can depend on me. She's going to give me counsel that no one else will give. And that's okay. Yes, if you've been married any length of time, you know that marriage is at times difficult. It is. You don't take a weak, fallen man, center of a male, and a weak, fallen center of a female and put them together and everything be hunky-dory. It's not going to happen. And sometimes the toil of life seems to suck the life out of you and her. And sometimes it seems that she's thinking, if you weren't here, my life would be better. And you're thinking, if she wasn't here, my life would be better. But Peter says we commit to honor her and delight in her femininity as you would want her to honor your masculinity. God created male and female. We know that today is biology, which is a science. And so let's follow that science. We're to cultivate companionship Understanding and honor as heirs together of the best that life has.
to offer, the topping on life. I don't remember when it happened, but I do remember how it happened, and uh, I, uh, it may have been at the beach this year. I don't remember. Anyway, um, went somewhere and, and uh, got ice cream. I got a Sundays and so forth, and then I think either Megan was making, I don't recall the entire thing, but anyway, what happened was that on top of the Sunday was the whipped cream, and then there was a cherry on top. Some people like cherries, some people don't. Sometimes you put pineapple or whatever. Some, but anyway, Sawyer likes cherries. So Sawyer said, Mom, can I have your cherry? And if I recall correctly, Megan gave him the cherry on top of the Sunday. That's a mother's love. I'm not so sure I would have done that. I probably would have said, sorry, get your own cherry. The topping of life. Do you look at family that way? Why is there such a destruction? Why is there such a focus on we call it traditional, but it's just biblical marriage. Why? Because people that don't want this. They don't want you and I to have a good marriage. If they are feeling despondent about the situation they're in, guess what? They want you to feel despondent. But God wants us to enjoy each other. Edmund Clowney wrote Husbands, if you are not understanding, honoring, or fostering the grace of life as heirs together, your prayers will be hindered. Now, that's one of the keys in this verse. Now, this is not generic prayer. This is specific prayer. What is he talking about? What's the context? The context is wives with unsaved husbands. Are they praying for their unsaved husbands? Yes. And husbands, saved husbands, with unsaved wives. Are they praying for their unsaved wives? Yes. That your prayer for their salvation be not hindered. Context is king. And what are the prayers? For the salvation of wife here in this case, or husband in the preceding six verses. Prayers are hindered. If husbands do not treat as equal in the grace, our wife is equal in the grace of a married life. And wives, this applies to you too. It's not just for men. It is in context. Your prayers are hindered. If your demeanor is not one of a quiet and gentle spirit, that's what he talks about in these first six verses that we looked at last week, which is, as we learned in verse 4, very precious in the sight of God. This is the context. It is not culturally divided. It was applicable 2,000 years ago. It is applicable today. God does not change. Next slide. The word hindered there means to cut down. It means to frustrate. You ever frustrated with your prayer life? Nod your head like this. Yes, you are. I am. We're not going to take the time this morning, but if we were to go back to Daniel chapter 10, we would find that Daniel began to pray, we're told, about a particular vision that he saw, and he wanted the, the uh, interpretation of that, uh, of that vision. And uh, the archangel Michael as he was praying, came and stood before him and said, Listen, I have, we heard your prayer. The Lord heard your prayer. He dispatched me to come and make a, uh, an interpretation of what you've seen. Now, this has to do with prophecy, very, very detailed. But the overall aspect of it is this. Michael said, But the prince of Persia, perhaps a demon, Perhaps Lucifer himself, we're not told who it is. But he said, the prince of per Persia withstood your prayers for 21 days. 
We are frustrated sometimes when we pray. And more often than not, we're frustrated because we're looking for an answer immediately. Well, we prayed for Mike. Well, Mike ought to be healed. Well, Mike is being healed in God's way. We prayed for many, many others here. Prayed for Robbie. We've prayed for Kitty and Willie and many, many others. Deborah and Roy. They have been healed. During the COVID time, we prayed. People were healed. Because we are suspicious of God answering prayer, we become frustrated. That's what Peter is saying. Tim Chalice said, any good man would be willing to die for his wife, to take a bullet that would have struck her, to welcome the pain that would have afflicted her. But it is the rare man who is willing to live for his wife to set aside the selfishness that is always close at hand and instead to live for her good and her joy. But then no husband is behaving more in a Christ-like manner than the one who considers his wife's good ahead of his own natural self-importance, his own natural ego, so that he can live truly self selflessly with the wife whom God has given him. And Charles Hodge great theologian in the 19th century in writing about this particular passage of scripture said this married love is as much a dictative nature as self love in other words it's a, it's a control it's a focus for you and it is just as unnatural for a man to hate his wife as it would be for him to hate himself or his own body Ephesians 5 a man may have a body that does not altogether suit him Men? Yeah. He may wish it were handsomer or healthier or stronger or more active. But still, it's his body. It's himself. And he feeds it and he cherishes it as tenderly as if it were the best and most lovely in the world. So a man may have a wife whom he could wish to be better or more beautiful or more agreeable. But she still is his wife and by the constitution of nature and the ordinance of God a part of himself. In rejecting her or abusing her, he violates the laws of nature as well as the laws of God. We do not want to prayers to frustrate us. Honor our wives. 1964, the Fab Four came on the scene in England as they had been all over Europe and a song that uh, I remember 12 years of age that Lennon and McCartney wrote is called She Loves You. It was one of the long, still is, one of the longest number one songs ever in the history of pop music. And they close out that song by saying, because she loves you, and you know that that can't be bad. Yes, she loves you, and you know you should be glad. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a love like that, you know you should be glad. Are you? The challenge of marriage and the challenges of marriage are too numerous to ignore Peter's instructions. Be submissive, understanding, honoring, because husbands and wives are together heirs of the grace of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the word. We thank you for the instruction here. We've had opportunity to read the words to the wives and the words to the husbands. And so we are here. We thank you that thousands of years ago now you laid this upon Peter's heart and Peter was writing uh, perhaps even in the... Uh, 
uh, in the room with his wife as he penned these words. And so may we consecrate our lives as husbands more fully to understanding, to honoring, and to enjoying the being heirs together of the grace of God so that our prayers may not be hindered. In Jesus' name, I make this prayer. Amen. We will sing one verse of a hymn this morning. A response, if the Lord has moved in your heart. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, we encourage you, by the grace of God, that if the, that, uh, if the Spirit has spoken to you through the Word, to exalt Jesus Christ above all in your life, that you uh, understand that you're a sinner, that you repent of your sins and call out to Jesus to receive Him in faith. I promise you, based on the authority of God's Word, that the Lord Jesus will do that. And as we sing, if you want to make your way out of the pew, we can take you to a private prayer room and there with an open Bible, lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We can't save you. This church doesn't save you. Being married doesn't save you. Having children doesn't save you. Jesus and he alone saves. So we encourage you to make that decision. The Lord may be leading you into the fellowship of this church. You know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Perhaps you need to follow him in believer's baptism first step of obedience we encourage you to do that or unite with us on statement of faith transfer of letter would you make that decision today as um, a child of God and these two messages in fact this is the fourth message we'll move into the next passage next week the fourth message on family and they're always needed they're always timely they're always on spot because that's what God wants God's loves himself within the Trinity and wants us to experience such love in our marriages. So what number, Miss Shannon? 135. 135. 135. If the Lord's spoken, won't you stand as we sing the...